Welcome to Paper Napkin, a podcast about connection. The world felt distant and connection felt hard. So we created a place for conversation, connection, and closeness. If not in proximity, then certainly in spirit. Grab a pen and a piece of paper or a paper napkin and get ready to consider how to connect deeply, honestly, and impactfully. Jim Button has been building meaningful connection and community for 30 years. To me, Jim embodies meaningful connection, the strength of creating your own community, and is the personification of better. Jim builds connections with people effortlessly and incessantly. He is one of those people who is beloved by all who meet him and who leaves a lasting impression after every conversation, no matter how brief. Jim is the co-founder of Village Brewery, a craft brewery which focuses on great beer and gathering community. He is also a brilliant writer using his platform, Gather With Jim, to share his personal journey initiated by a terminal cancer diagnosis. He has about 600 acclaim-worthy roles other than that, but we'll let you check out his LinkedIn if you're keen. Jim is a straight talker, a truth teller, a community builder, and as they say here in the UK, a real top gent. I'm so thrilled to welcome Jim to Paper Napkin for a chat about how we can better meaningfully connect. Thanks for being here, Jim. A real top gent. I like it. I'll take it. <laughs> of all the British terms, I think that's my favorite because it, it just... A real top gent. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> I, can, I can almost see I can almost see the real top gents. Oh, there you go. Perhaps, perhaps that's the next iteration of whatever you create next. Yeah. The real, yeah, well, I actually, I think I actually have created, I've created two of those clubs when I, when I did get a terminal diagnosis and I started panicking that I wanted to see so many people and do so many things that I created two different groups of guys. One of my friends from out East that I went to high school and junior high and university with my first jobs in advertising. So I created this group of, it's called Going Nowhere. And we went places. We went out to, it was only supposed to be once because I was only supposed to live for a year. And we went out uh, sea kayaking in a, uh, in BC. And now we've done five of them. But this is all the people that I really loved from growing up. And then the other ones, it's a, it's a league of guys that are out here in Calgary that are guys that they had to fit a certain criteria of being really interesting people that I wanted to have a, an evening with. And that's continued on now for five years as well but they were supposed to be one-offs and they were pretty special nights and day and weekends but so yeah so these guys are top gents top gents is so you've got going nowhere do you have a name for the other group of very interesting people uh it's supposed to be top secret but i'll tell you the league of extraordinary gentlemen it's actually a mashup of dinner with schmucks and the league of extraordinary gentlemen <laughs> you ever seen the, the movie dinner with schmucks I have not. No. Uh, you're supposed to go and just, it's really mean, but you're supposed to bring a buffoon to dinner with you and they have a contest to see who's got the biggest buffoon as a friend. <laughs> so I figured all these friends who are buffoons and et cetera, and nobody would know who was the, who was the buffoon and who was the extraordinary gentleman. But oh my gosh. That's turned hilarious. out to be a, a magical, a magical group of people, but all people I've connected with and with the beauty of, of that group is that they, uh, a lot of them didn't need, didn't know each other when they came in, and now they all are doing business or sharing adventures, and they've all connected. So, 
it's been fun. That is such a great anecdote to start on, actually, because I think that so accurately sort of sums up who you are, is you're not just a person that brings people together. You're also a person that encourages connection outside of that. So you connect with someone, but you also bring them into sort of a larger a larger group and a larger community. And I've always really admired that about you. Is that something that you've always done? Is it something that you learned? Yeah, I think it's something I've always done. I've always been that guy that brought people together. I was always, you know, if back, back when I was in high school and you'd want to go on a ski trip and it would cost $400 for the bus and the hotel and et cetera, et cetera but it was organized by an organization that give a free trip to the person that organized it. So we didn't have much money when I grew up. So I would organize the trip, but I'd bring all my friends and my friends were all happy because none of them would be able to put it together. So I, early on, I was always the one, I was also always the house that when you wanted to know where everybody was back before the internet, of course, you would call around and say, where does everybody want to get together? And they'd call my house and I'd tell my mom as I was going out the door, let everybody know we're meeting at McDonald's on Richmond. And my mom would be the one answering the call and going, yeah, they went to McDonald's on Richmond and we'd all meet up. But my house was the house everybody phoned to figure out where we were all getting together. So I've always been that guy. I don't know why I just, Maybe because I traveled so much with my dad being in the military that I had to make friends and I just naturally started making friends early on because you had to. It was either that or you had to fight. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because you you make friends, but you build networks and, and those things go hand in hand, I think, when it comes to you. And there are people who keep their friends close or don't want to share their friendships and you're the the antithesis of that and I wonder what is the benefit to you in creating all of these networks well I just you know I get bored easy I think and I find different groups of people so interesting so I love putting together a group where you'll have somebody that's let's call them a CEO or came from affluence and I like putting them together with people that are you know a little more blue collar or a little more real that way and I love watching I love watching what's connected between the two of them that they would think that they would be very different and wouldn't have anything to talk about but every single time if you've got especially if you've got a, a curator like me curating the conversation you'll you'll find that everybody has something in common and if they only see the the veneer or they only go shallow, then quite often two people that can connect and see something really fun happening don't do it because they don't they don't get the chance to take the time. So I really enjoy watching watching the shock and awe of two different people. Like I'll bring them out. We'll have a dinner party, for example, and like somebody's swearing up a storm or somebody's talking about something so banal that the other person's like reeling back, but then. I just interject a little piece in the conversation, find something there I know that they're both interested in or they might possibly both be interested in, and then watching them all of a sudden now become friends outside of that. And I get great joy out of building that bridge and uh, making that happen. So it's really visible in a group of 40 guys when you do it. 
And all these guys that are in the going nowhere, the one person they all knew was me. Same with the league. The one guy that they all knew was me. And it's a shame to me that people don't get to meet other really interesting people simply because of geography or geopolitical or socioeconomic. I'd rather them meet interesting people in all walks of life. And I get great joy out of that. I really do. You spoke about the fact that you're bringing together people from from different walks of life and who might not normally connect. And I have been thinking about the idea of connection and the idea of belonging and this feeling of the other and sort of othering that I think what you're describing is a way to remove that. I think it's it's so much more difficult to judge someone when you are starting to get to know them than it is when they are something external to you or an idea as opposed to an actual person. Yeah. Like if you look at, you know, in the last 10 years with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and et cetera, that human, that human contact part started falling aside. And, you know, I know so many people that get frustrated with me if I phone them. You know, they'd rather do stuff by text. And I, and I said, you know, it's just the nuances, the inflections, the body language, all that type of stuff is lost. And you're not really getting to know somebody in that. And so with what's happened in the last 10 years, I feel like there's a big disconnection that's been happening, a real, the real connection. I think if, especially for youth that didn't, you know, didn't just walk down the street and knock on a door and say, hey, can you come out and play? And then when you went out and played and you went to the park and then you ran into somebody that you didn't know or you did know, and then you played with them and then it just all got bigger. It, now there's, it feels like there's rules around who can meet who and who can talk to who and who's friends with who and who believes who, you know, that the division and the, the divisiveness and the, the black and whiteness of conversation and connection is unfortunate. And so I like people that I know that are on one's a black and one's a white in terms of their thoughts. I like bringing them together because I know at the end of the day, they're more alike than they think. It's like when people would here in Calgary and you know, you've got the same thing in the UK. There's towns that are, that talk smack about each other, Calgary versus Edmonton, Toronto versus every other city. But when you look at a Calgary and Edmontonian, they're, they're like, 85% of their stuff is all the same stuff. They're only paying attention in a negative terms in terms of the 15% things that are, that they've chosen to see as a difference, as opposed to the 85% that they can see as being a similarity. And I, I just find that once you get somebody in a real connection, their perspective of everybody changes, right? Every time, every time. And I get joy out of that. And is part of that you going in as well with no assumptions about the people that you meet initially? How do you connect and what does that look like in that first instance before you've created all these networks? I ask a lot of questions about that person. You know, like they might not recognize it, but probably about 75% of the conversation is about them because I'm genuinely interested in learning about them. And it's a bit of a lost art. Uh, these days in asking questions about others and learning about them. And then you start finding where your connection is and you start finding what you can do together and or how you can help that person. And that's a big part of my life. And it always has been. I find most people when they're talking to somebody, 
they're listening in order to respond, you know, how to keep the conversation going and to sound interesting or to uh, participate or to get an upper hand or to be the winner of the conversation, whatever, whatever, you know, maybe those are wrong examples, but I tend to try and think that if you, you listen to understand, you're getting way more richness out of the conversation than you are if you're listening to respond. And quite often people are just listening to respond just so they could stay in a conversation, but they're not really getting anywhere. They're just responding to something as opposed to going, oh, that's interesting. Let's dig into that a bit more and let me learn a bit more about you. And I think in business, that's why I've had success from a business development or a creative perspective, because I think I probably do more listening than I do talking. And part of that that I'm interested in is active listening is so valuable. Sometimes I think the barrier to it is the feeling of what question do I ask next that is appropriate or comfortable or, and I wonder if it isn't just sometimes we need to let go of that feeling of maybe that's the wrong question to ask and just ask it so that we can get deeper. What are your thoughts yep. on that? And, and not being afraid to ask a question. You know, like me as somebody that's got terminal cancer, there was a long time where the, where the fear was to ask how I was doing or to ask any questions about the severity of the cancer. And so I eventually wrote a blog. I said, ask. I said, the worst thing from a person in my role is to think that you don't care. And so by asking, I get to make the decision on how I respond. So, hey, Jim, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, you know, or I'm feeling really crappy right now and, and this is what's going on. I get to make that decision. But if I ask somebody, I say, how are you doing? And they go, eh, mm. you know, they, the body cues and the language, you'll know what's off topic pretty quickly. You'll know that if they answer and go, yeah, I'm good, that that's not a worthwhile road to go down. So by listening, asking the question and listening and listening to the, somebody squirm as you ask the question, you go, okay, that's a topic that they're not comfortable with. Let's talk around it or talk directly to it. If you know that the challenge they're having is something that you can help them with, but you've got to have the confidence to do, to do that. You mentioned your platform in which you're sharing your story and I think a blog is what you call it there, but I think it's so much more than that. And what I find interesting is gather with Jim. You're connecting with so many people all over the world. Does it feel like it's a two-way connection? That's a great question. I, I haven't built into it. I purposely didn't build into it a comment section. And I was purposeful on that because I didn't want a whole whack of attaboys and keep on going, Jim. And I didn't want to uh, do that. But what I did build, it was a send me an email piece to it, which I get a lot of people sending me emails. And I'd say probably about 70, maybe 80% of them are people that are struggling themselves, or they've got a spouse or a friend or a, a sibling or a parent that are struggling. And they ask if it's okay, if I would connect with their spouse or sibling or whomever. And so then I find I've been doing a lot of coffees or a lot of 
emailing. So I, I probably do one, maybe two interactions a week with somebody that's dealing with cancer or a mental health issue. It seems are starting to come more often now. So then I'll take them for coffee or I'll just connect with them by email or they'll ask if we can Zoom. And, you know, we'll, so I'm, I've been Zooming with people all over the world and I've been emailing with people all over the world and I've had coffees with many people that have had similar problems to me or, you know, from a disease perspective. And they're just looking for advice or they just want somebody they can talk to that has no judgment, you know, that they find that they can't talk to other people because other people are putting them into a, into a spot that there's other people aren't comfortable. So they put them in, put the, the cancer patient into a, a woe, a woe is you. And they, they, you can't, it's hard, it's hard to deal with the, with those puppy dog eyes that people, you know, and this is a common comment I get from people They go, I just can't talk to anybody else about it. They just give me that sad. I feel so bad for you. Look, and I don't feel bad, but they want me to feel bad. And so how do you deal with that? And so I've been enjoying that. It's kind of sad because I've probably had about six funerals I've gone to of people that have reached out to me and that we've talked and we continue to talk until now I've got a couple of spouses that I interact with of husbands that have passed on. And so they're still in contact. So the blog itself, its purpose originally was to, because I have big network, I was very conscious of the amount of times I would have to be answering the cancer questions. And I didn't know whether I was going to be comfortable answering them. My natural instinct was that I would be comfortable with it, but I didn't know what the volume was going to be and how much that would wear me down. So I did that so other people would have information that if I felt like I didn't want to talk about, I said, just go look at the blog. And I've done that on numerous occasions. I wanted to be able to have something for people that came after me that could get information in a real honest level because I tell everything in that blog. What I've gotten out of it was the cathartic nature of writing it out on paper or on a screen. And that was, that was a bit surprising to me. And uh, the real gift that came from it was I never thought of myself as a writer. I actually was afraid of creative writing before. And now I, I love it. It's, it's impacted my writing in every single way you could imagine. And that, that was the gift. That was the real gift of that blog for sure. It's so interesting to hear you say that you never thought of yourself as a writer because you have such a natural talent to bring people along the journey, which I guess is not surprising in what we've been talking about thus far, that what you do is bring people along. But that really translates, I think, onto the virtual mediums and the virtual spaces in a way that's quite unique, I think. Not everyone can bring people in in real life and bring people in online. Well, I think... I think maybe some of the consistent things in there are, are I, 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 my wife calls it vulnerability. You know, she's a big, you know, Brene Brown kind of philosophy. And I've always been so self-deprecating. I've always been open to, I, I just felt like it was way easier to expose my weakness to somebody than to have them find it out. You know, I'd rather just be honest and open and genuine and that's always been my, I learned that early on, you know, when, like I said, I think I was impacted quite a bit by 
I was born in Germany and then moved to Italy and then Shikudi, Quebec and then Cold Lake, Alberta, Ottawa, all by grade four. And each time you move, those are impactful when you move and then you got to make new friends and you've got to, you, you know, you've got to, well, being in the military, you had to fight. Like every time you moved, there was a military pecking order that you had to know where you fit. So I had to be funny. I had to be able to, <laughs> to navigate myself around getting the shit kicked out of me all the time. And I think I just, from that time, I learned how to make friends. And to make friends, it wasn't to be uh, bravado. That didn't make friends. Friends were made by, by being honest and being genuine and helping them out and not making them feel bad and being ready to help each other out. So I think I, think I just got lucky finding a voice online that was just me saying what's happening. As opposed to, you know, I try and give a lesson each time, but the lesson is very, very subtle. But I just feel like I'm able to just be honest. <laughs> I'm not trying to, not trying to create a this big paradigm shift in who I am. It's just from my my soul to the digitals, I guess. Don't not describe it. One of the words that comes to mind is the word trust, and I think what you create in your relationships is through your vulnerability is a trust. I think back to when we first met and, you know, I was reporting to you in some capacity and I saw you as someone that I trusted and that I could speak to about a variety of things and someone that I felt comfortable not knowing around with the understanding that there or presenting solutions that I didn't know were the right solutions, but able to have that conversation and bring that to the table. And I think that that's sort of what has stuck with me from working with you all those many moons ago, I guess, nine years ago now, that that feeling of the welcoming feeling that you create, I think, and the way that you make people feel comfortable and listened to and involved that makes them want to be more involved and do better that's why I said you're the personification of better because I think you you bring that out in other people. Thanks. That's very kind of you. I just never saw the value in telling somebody what to do that was reporting to me. I never saw the value in making them feel bad for bringing something forward. I saw somebody that wanted to learn and somebody that had ideas but didn't have the experience to wrap around those ideas. And I've always felt like we're in it together. Like you brought something to my role. You brought something to my responsibilities, either through fresh eyes or through youth or through inexperience. You know, like one of the challenges of experience is you tend to try and do what you know works. And over time, that stops working. And so you need an an injection of new ideas and new risks and new things. So I always thought it was smart on my behalf that I'd get the best work out of someone like you by letting you be the creative one and do all the work. You know what I mean? And I can just manage the edges and keep you focused in the right direction. You spoke a little bit about the platform on which you write. How else do you stay connected? Well, I, I, 
try and go for a walk or two every day with somebody. You know, I've got two standing walks, a Monday one and a Friday one. But then in between, I've got probably five or six walks that I do every week. And I try and have different people all the time. And then the walk I do on Friday, we kind of do a free-for-all Friday where we bring a bunch of people. And this past Friday, there was a, a gentleman in town's 62nd birthday and we invited 10 of us going for a walk so we went for a walk and that would stop the group and it's okay everybody shift you can't walk with the same person so everybody would have to walk with a different person so then we'd walk another kilometer and then shift and so you got to talk to different people along the way i enjoy the freshness of different conversations and quite often when i'm walking you know i'd say one two three maybe more a week are people that have got a business or a health challenge that they want to talk to me about. And so we typically talk about their challenge and how I can help. And one of the things I've been lucky to have as a, I don't know if it's a skill or a character tool is I can see connection in almost every conversation. So when somebody's saying, yeah, I'm really having a hard time with this, or I'm wondering what the solution would be to that, I quickly, somehow, just through uh, sheer luck, I have a synapse makes a connection somewhere in my brain that goes, you know what, you should talk to, because when I was talking to them on a walk two weeks ago, they were having the exact opposite problem than you were having. And they were looking for somebody to solve what you're trying to actually do as, as part of your profession. So why don't you two connect? So what I say in the walk is, because my memory, because of all the chemotherapy and all the surgeries I've had, my memory sucks. I say, send me this person's name. And so usually after a walk, I have two or three names that I then make an email connection or a text connection. And I say, Steve meet John, John meet Steve. I've spoken to you, both of you. You know what to do. You're on your own because I will call the person I'm connecting to make sure they're okay. And in that, I would say what the scenario is. So there's no financial benefit. There's no other than feeling really good that I'm helping somebody out. That is the only uh, benefit I get. And I've done that my whole life. And when I got sick, all that all those connections came back in tenfold. You couldn't even you couldn't even measure the amount of goodwill or desires to help or opportunities or whatever, just in good vibes. The tsunami of good vibes that came my way were why you do stuff like this. And if you do something like this for pure profit or pure benefit to yourself, it won't happen. But if you do it because that is, that's your special purpose, then you'll get back so much more than you could ever possibly have imagined when you need it. So do it for the right reason. Do it for the joy of connecting. Do it for the joy of, of building a big group of friends that happen to be in business or in whatever it is that you're, that you're doing. Because once they're your friends or once there's somebody you trust, or once it's at that level, the, the trust is... The trust is gained, and that's all you need to make anything happen. 
there's so many threads that I want to pull on on that one. Firstly, just to say that actually you told me this about nine years ago and I loved it so much. And when I reached out to you, I said, you know, you are part of the inspiration behind paper napkin. And that's why is because the way that you have always operated in matching people, you're like matchmaker for great conversations and connections. And I wanted this podcast to be like that and allow for people to connect with people they might not otherwise have listened to or had a conversation with, and then to follow those connections around the world. So that was just the one thing I wanted to say is that it's really neat to hear you recount that on this podcast, because it's exactly what I remembered from the first time (laughs) that you told it to me. The other thing that I wanted to pull on was just, you talked about giving and, and getting it back and you, you give so much to other people. Is there a limit? How do you create boundaries? Do you need to create boundaries? What does that look like? It's funny. I get that question a lot. And I used to get that question a lot when people said, you know, because I had a full-time job at Evan Santa. I was a full-time starting a brewery. I was coaching my kids in soccer. I was on, I think I was on at one time, seven volunteer boards and, uh, and I was able to stay married. And people asked me how I did it all then. And I have never come up with the answer (laughs) to that. And I've never put boundaries on it other than my own desire of when I can get back to somebody. That being said, I still try and get back to somebody the same day. And I'm still able to, I've always been able to do that as well. I, I think people overthink stuff. And I think that's possibly why I'm able to do so many of these things is because I don't overthink. I, I, I just tend to go on a natural instinct of trying to make stuff happen and trying to make stuff happen for the good of others. I know if I make good stuff happen for others, how could anything wrong, what bad could possibly come out of that for me other than time? And so, yeah, I had to, when I was on at that apex of time constraint of what I did, all that, I stopped all the volunteer boards I kept the coaching. I started because I, I was working until two, three in the morning and I was up early. I was go, go, go. And that wasn't healthy. But at the same time, I don't recall not having a riot doing it. Like if I could have a 36 hour day, I would have been ecstatic. But I've just been lucky at choosing things that I enjoyed. I never chased ever, ever chased money. Never, ever. It was always. It had to be fun. It had to be, it had to be doing good. It had to be something that I could, that I enjoyed. And so in doing that, I, I didn't need to put boundaries up other than I got to go to bed because <laughs> I'm going to keep going. And quite often when it came to projects that I didn't want to work on, I wouldn't show up. When it got to dealing with too much project management or too much getting in the weeds on that type of stuff, I would never make those meetings because I knew smarter people would solve them than me because that's not where my skill set lay. So I stayed in my lane of where I could add value. So it's very easy to get sucked into places where you don't add value. But if you have the comfort to, to stay out of that lane or force others to put you in that lane, then you tend to be able to manage your time fairly well because you're having fun. Well, and I love that because what you're saying essentially is play to your strengths, right? Your strengths are connected with people and that's where you get your energy from. So 
there are probably people who would say, yes, but that project management needs to get done or yes, but these are the things that are expected of me. And I think what I heard you say is that you've tried to live your life in such a way that you're pursuing the things that make you happy without pursuing the things that don't bring joy. And so you can have a full day if it's a full day of the wonderful things, you don't need to create boundaries around things that are great and good for your soul. Yeah, there's a flow and an energy in the world. And if you get in, I feel like that turtle on, is it Nemo? Yeah, finding Nemo, Nemo, where you say, and they're getting in the, the Gulf Stream there. I feel like when you can get into that zone, that it just all comes naturally. Like when I'm at my best, it's when I'm in a zone and it's almost like I need to find a creative solution to this challenge. I'll just kind of go, I really got to find a way. And then I'll talk to some people. And the next thing you know, somebody phones me and says, hey, I've been wanting to do this. And I go, I can't believe it. You, you called right at the right time. But when you get into that zone, stuff like that's happening. And for about 10 years, I was in that zone from a business and a community and a, a family and the kids zone. Everything was just it was, it was flowing easily for me. And I think in part because I built that. Like I built the inputs and outputs to that. And the inputs were talking to everybody and everybody. This is another thing. I really have a pet peeve about people only talk to people in their status or their socially economic or, you know, like everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something interesting. Everybody can make you laugh. Everybody can make you sad. Everybody can provide something for you, but you've got to have the conversation. And on that, the other thing is you never know who's bringing what to the table. Anybody can offer. And that's what the beauty sometimes of a thing like a stampede can be is it's a, it's a bit of an equalizer when people are out uh, and just having fun and not trying to sell or do or be. They're just, a silly cowboy dressed up. A silly or cowgirl. Or cowgirl. Well, and what I think is really interesting as well is the way that you interact with people seems to be fairly straightforward. But what I'm curious about is whether there is a thread. So you have quite an eclectic group around you. Is yep. there a thread that you look for? People that are interesting. People that aren't afraid to express themselves. I love artists, you know, like the majority of artists are pretty good at expressing themselves. They're really lousy at selling something, but they're really good at being out there and willing to have different conversations. I, I, I find the people that I have a hard time having the conversations with are those people that have done really well because their industry is doing really well and think they're really smart and then start knocking other people um, down because they're not as smart as they are, but you know, like in Calgary, the energy industry has made a lot of people think they're brilliant and interesting when they're actually one dimensional and not very interesting and not very nice. So this is where I get all the hate mail now from all the energy industry people. <laughs> or you'll get, I, I have a feeling it's more like messages saying, trust me, Jim, I'm nice. And I'd love to go for a walk yeah, with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've had, uh, conversations around our island in our in our kitchen with people and we've got a group of people that are oil and gas people and energy people and they get into these 
conversations and I really, really want to go after them and cut them down at the knees because they're saying some really bad stuff. And I remember one time I'd look over at my wife and she'd go, no, keep it nice. And then they'd say something negative about First Nation. And I'd look at my wife and she'd go, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's, I'm just making fun of them nonstop, you know, and, it, and these are friends, people that are, that all of a sudden you, you get into an area and you go, oh, that's interesting. We've never dug into that. And I, I don't respect your perspective because it's a very, it's just not a very good perspective to have on a human. We're going in a lot of different directions. And, and actually on that note, I think that the interesting piece is that being kind, connecting with people doesn't mean not having a backbone or not standing up for the people who need to be stood up for. And or you have a difference of opinion. Yeah. Well, and, and being able to connect with someone while telling them that you disagree with them is a skill that I think many of us could learn. Do you have any tips? Well, if you're honest and you're genuine and you give the feedback in an honest and genuine, I want to help you kind of way, as opposed to you're a dick, you know, like, that's not going to get you anywhere. But in, in that situation, it's okay, hold on, let's just, let's just back up. You just said something that I, I want to challenge you a bit on. I have a feeling what I heard was maybe you're trying to say this and or maybe you don't know about this and, and, and words like that or what did I just hear you know taking all the pressure off of it from being an angry polarity kind of moment as opposed to all right let me just I heard something and I just want to dig in deeper on it because I, I don't think I, I necessarily heard something that I thought I heard you know that that they, they're open to the conversation at that point and if you're in a group setting don't embarrass them you know, don't embarrass them in front of the next person and make them, because if you embarrass them, then they have to defend themselves. Their natural reaction is they just got put into a corner and have to fight their way out. And everybody, when they get into that, they're going to fight it and they're not going to be open. So keep it into an open dialogue and realize early on, if it's somebody who you're not going to change, know where you stand and say, this is not a conversation that we're going to have. I still like you, you're still a good person, but in this area, we completely disagree. Mm -hmm. Let's not have that conversation anymore. Or if it's really bad, then you just, just stop hanging out with that person. You don't yeah. give them any more oxygen. Don't give them any more oxygen. Pivoting very much so, but because you mentioned that your wife wouldn't shake her head or nod, it, it made me think of your relationship and you have a really beautiful relationship from the outside looking in and you seem to be the perfect fit. Are you similar in the way that you create connections? Are you different? How do you complement each other? Well, I'm an extrovert and she would be an ambivert. There's times when she'd like to stay at home. And she's an artist, so she might rather just paint or read a book or she gets points where she has had enough of people. I rarely have that, but she's also times where she's an extrovert, which is obviously the ambivert. So we approach things very differently. Typically, I'm the, I'm the louder one in the room. I'm the one being noisy. She's the one that's more into a thoughtful conversation. She would rather have a, 
a deeper conversation than three shallow conversations. She doesn't have as much time as I do for the cocktail chit chat. Those types of things are draining on her. Whereas for me, they're I'm opening up doors and I'm opening up, I'm learning and seeing new things. They typically, those conversations, my cocktail chit chats typically go off on these weird things that if somebody used to come in, they go, what are you guys talking about? Because I tended to take it off that way because everybody's sick of the weather and the usual cocktail chit chat. So yeah, so we operate differently on those. She's way smarter. She's way more intellectual than I am. I'm more street smart, a street level kind of guy. But I think I think we both are very um, community minded. We're very family oriented. We're very purposeful. Our word means something. Our actions mean something. Our spot in society means something. Our desire to help others means something. So we're lucky in that. You know, we're very lucky in that we both enjoy seeing joy in others. She's forever making a meal or she's painting a painting of somebody who's just lost a dog and she's giving them the painting and, you know, she's a giver as well. Sounds like you're both givers. What a lovely thing to bring to a relationship and what a lovely thing to bring to your children as well. They're very lucky to have the two. I think we've raised some good kids. We'll find out what the gaps are that we screwed up on as they age, but right now they're doing well. They knew back when they were in school that their job was to treat others well and to participate and to add value to other people's lives. So I think they, I think they're both doing that. I hope they're both doing it. It seems like they're both doing it. If they watch it, they better phone me and tell me that they're doing that. (laughs) (laughs) This is your cue. You better call. No text. It's got to be a call. Yeah. Yeah. No, they default to text hundred (laughs) percent. Generational generation. Yeah. What's one piece of advice that you often pass on to others? You've given us a lot of wisdom here, but. Ooh, one piece of advice. Be kind. The pieces of advice that my mom gave to me, she passed away from cancer. And I remember lying in bed with her one night and talking. I said, okay, mom, what are the three things I, I need to know? She said, be nice. Don't take life too seriously and laugh a lot. Those are, those are pretty simple edicts to live by. And I'll use my mom's advice because that's basically what I've tried to pass on is that be nice, laugh every day. And the world's not, the world is not complicated. (laughs) You can make it complicated, but it's really, it's really quite simple. Don't stress it. That is such great advice. Absolutely brilliant. Something to to write down, I think, and really ruminate on as well in its simplicity and in the essence, it is the essence of you as well, I think. So I can see your mom and you in that for sure. Yeah. Well, my dad was high stress. My dad was an air traffic controller and navigator. He was very linear, very much, you know, he was, he was a measure five times cut once kind of guy. And then you've got a guy like me that's, don't worry about the details kind of guy, you know? So I learned a lot about about business and life and entrepreneurialism from him because he did go into business. But I learned an awful lot from my mom in terms of the soft skills, the EQ part of life and how undervalued that has been for so long. You know, you just don't teach people that. And it's so valuable having a 
a good solid EQ and being a, a good person, that stuff's just not taught enough. It's just not trained enough. It's just math and science and all good stuff. But we need to add in life skills and things like that too. That's where elders are good. That's why it was always good having multi-generational because the elders were the ones that tended to teach that type of education. And we kind of got away from that. Listen to your grandparents. They're the wisest people in the room. For their great advice. And actually that is, I'm putting this out there into the universe that that's one of the things I really want to do is have a podcast interview with someone's grandparent, because I think there's so much to those conversations. And sadly, none of mine are, are alive anymore, but the conversations yep. you have with the people who have lived their lives and seen so much is. And, uh, and they're going to, they're going to simplify your life down so much the things that you need to worry about. They are going to get rid of all the noise. No, the whole the comments like you'll never be on your deathbed worrying about your work. You're going to be, what kind of friends did I have? My family. There's a great, oh, geez, what's the person's name? I can't remember. But he wrote in the New York Times a little short story on the two mountains. It was the moral perils of meritocracy was the name of the article. And in the article, he talks about how we climb this first mountain of our lives. There's two mountains and you climb this first mountain. The first mountain is very much go to university, get a degree, get a job, get a better job, get a car, get a better car, get a house, bigger house, have two kids, go on vacations, all those trappings. And then what he talks about in the article is this catastrophic moment that could happen to you. Cancer, divorce, lost a job, lost a sibling, all these things that all of a sudden knock people off. And they then start realizing what's the, what's the real value where's the real joy in the first one it's all ego driven you're all doing things for yourself and you're trying to get fun or you're trying to get uh, happiness the second mountain you all of a sudden start climbing this mountain going what are the real what's the joy the first mountain's about happiness and it's typically about ego the second one you shed the ego and you become part of a bigger world and it's more about how can i help others and what can i do for others and when you start helping others and doing things for others and thinking about the person across from you, you get joy. And that is what a grandparent will teach you, is to chase the joy. And the joy doesn't come from worrying about yourself. It comes from where you fit in the bigger system, in the bigger community, in the family. And that's, that they recognize that because they've seen it. And people that have fallen off the mountain see it. I believe I, I was on second mountain for the majority of my life, but falling off the mountain, I really understood it. And I went both feet in to try and educate people on that and to do TED Talks and do things like that, because that's where my responsibility felt. That's where my purpose lies now in helping people understand the joy of life as opposed to the happiness of life. And the joy comes from the connection with other people. That's right. Love that. What a beautiful, what a beautiful way to wrap up the podcast. There's just, there's one question left that I ask everyone and that's in true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next and what makes them great? Oh, see, I've got two and that's my challenge. And I was hoping that when I went through this, that I would be able to identify through this conversation, which one it'd be but I'm going to have to give you two, if that's all right. 
I needed Absolutely. to. One is a gentleman by the name of Terry Andreo. He is a farmer. And I, I've always viewed farmers. I learned this lesson from a gentleman by the name of Ed McNally. He started a, a brewery called Big Rock. And he was a rancher. And he used to always talk to me about the importance of giving and how valuable it was to the brewery. And I said, can you give me the story? Well, help me believe that. Not that I didn't already believe it, but I wanted to hear from him. And he said, so if you leave your, your farm or your ranch and you drive by and you see Farmer Bob's combine is sitting in the field and you know that he normally would be combining that field, you wonder. And then you come back at the end of the day and the combine's still sitting there. And then you go to the next day and the combine's there. You go, something's going on. You go to the combine and you see Farmer Bob's trapped under the combine. <laughs> and what do you do? You help Farmer Bob and then you combine Farmer Bob's field. You get all the neighbors, all the farmers. And so Farmer Nancy, Farmer Steve, they all come and they work Farmer Bob's field before they go back and work their field. And that ethos of frontier land and farmers, I think, is embodied in a gentleman by the name of Terry Andreo. He believes in that. So that'd be one guy that I would connect with. The other is Avnish, Avnish Mehta. He's connected to people spiritually. And he's had generations of spirituality, meditation. So the day I found out I had 15 tumors in my lungs, I went home. Chase and I, you know, shocked. It's a shocking day because I tell you, you've got a year to live and all these things. And so we were at home and I looked at her text and her text from was Avnish. And I'll paraphrase it was, I took you into a healing session and I saw that you have dark clouds over your lungs. It could be serious. I would suggest you go see a doctor about it. Now, imagine receiving that when you've just been giving medical science has just told you you have lesions in your lungs and then somebody spiritually has told you that there's a lot of risk in him telling it and I could have, I could have avoided it you know the life's like that that came at the right time and I was open to hearing it and he was open to sharing it and that sent me off in a whole path on real connectedness and we are all connected at a spiritual level and there's an energy in the world and a collective consciousness and so He's the other one because he looks at it from that side. So they're both very connected individuals and their their lives are based around connecting people. So I'll introduce you to them both. Now you have two more people. I love that. And of course, I would expect nothing less from the man who always makes a group that you would give me not one. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I really look forward to connecting with both of them. And I've really enjoyed connecting with you as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Jim. It was absolutely my pleasure, Kendra. Thanks for doing this. It's great. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you so much for listening and connecting with us. If you liked the podcast, please subscribe and review. We'll be back next week with another impactful connection. Until then, be kind.